Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I want to start with uh, any of our middle schoolers that are here this morning, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, and I want to ask you a question. Maybe you'll even uh, be willing to answer out loud for the group, uh, and that is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do we have any middle schoolers or confirmation age, or are you all slinking down as soon as I request it? Anybody have one? See, in confirmation class, I would just call out your name, right? But I'm not going to, because you don't, it's like asking someone to pray in the group. Does anyone want to pray for us? Of course not, right? You just have to pick somebody. All right, what about you, uh, the rest of us that are a little older, can you think back to when you were in middle school, how did you answer that question? How did you answer that question? Somebody asked you, what do, we, what do you want to be when you grow up? We'll assume for a second that, that you all did, okay? But what do you want to be when you grow up? How did you answer? Who's got some answers for us? What's that? Architect. All right. Good. Basketball coach. Good. Baseball player. Teacher. Fireman. It's not too late. If you're at Bloomington, you can be part of the volunteer uh, corps there, right? Others? Veterinarian. Veterinarian. Good. All right. I found this actually outside Michelle Totten's office. She doesn't know I'm going to show you guys this. When I grow up, I want to be a ballerina. So there, you can tell her that. I didn't check this with her first, so Pat's laughing about it. But there you go, okay? So she wants to be a ballerina. When I, how many of you, by show of hands, and, and for you that are younger, I don't care if you're in middle school or not, but if you're just younger, I want you to look around the room as they show this. How many of you, by a show of hands, ended up doing what you said you wanted to do when you were in middle school? Okay, go ahead and look around, kids. There's a few. I would not call that a majority. That would not get a majority vote out of this group. And I also did not raise my hand. When I was in sixth grade, I told my parents very uh, boldly that when I grow up, I'm going to be a Harlem Globetrotter. <laughs> you guys are all laughing at me. I was serious. <laughs> I really wanted to do this. I loved basketball. Uh, and they, those guys seemed like they were having the most fun doing it. Uh, and so I wanted to do that. That's what I wanted to do. My parents, to their credit, stifled their laughter, I think. Uh, they didn't tell me, no, you're going to have to be a general or anything like that. Uh, and they also didn't go nuts trying to make it happen for me either. They just let me dream a little bit. By the time I got to eighth grade, so not even, you know, a couple years later, that had already changed. I wanted to be an, engi an aerospace engineer and an astronaut. Am I doing either of these things? I'm holding out. Elon Musk might get me in space eventually. I don't know. We'll see, all right? But the point there, as you can see, is that, you know, especially for those of us that are older, that question 
uh, just very open, right? It's, it's kind of like a, a, a dreaming question. It's just, it's fun. You kind of think about what are the possibilities, what happens for me later in life. And I kind of wonder, especially in, in the time that I have spent with our youth uh, over the, and other youth over the years, I kind of wonder if that question has a little different uh, flavor uh, to, for how youth hear it nowadays. Or maybe it was like that for you in an earlier stage. Maybe your parents had a very set idea of what you needed to be when you got older. It's not really up to you, right? And you better follow this and figure it out. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure. I don't want to speak for our youth, for our middle schoolers and high schoolers, but I feel like there's a lot more pressure now to have that answer and already be working toward it than to just kind of dream and to be open. In other words, I feel like there's a lot of pressure, and this, I think this is happening increasingly at whatever age you're at in life, but there's an increasing pressure, I think, in our world to have your life built out. To, you're not just the architect, right? You are the builder of whatever's in front of you. Uh, and th- these pressures that I think that are true are, uh, one, to kind of build your resume, Two, to build your own identity. Uh, and three, to build your finished view of everybody else. And to kind of walk you through those, I've got some illustrations here. So for example, how many of you uh, have applied to college at any point recently? All right. Does the word resume come up? Okay, I'm getting some nods from you. I looked this up. You know when I, the first time I ever wrote a resume? After college, applying for a job, right? And I found when I searched online for like college resumes, there's no end in sight. This one was from the Princeton Review and they started off by saying, think resumes are only for job seekers? Think again, all right? They didn't put it in bold, but that's how I heard it, right? Think again. High school student resumes give colleges a snapshot of your accomplishments, extracurriculars, hobbies, and work history. I didn't even have a work history when I was at that stage, right? And then they go on through all this. I put it in small print just so I could get it all into one page here. But you've got to have your information, your graduation date, uh, your class rank, your scores, all of your awards, publications and honors, uh, extracurricular activities, community service, work experience, hobbies, special skills. When do you start building all this? Sooner and sooner and sooner. And what's funny is that you go on with this, I mean, they give you all of this, all of this stuff that you have already supposed to have figured out by this point in life, while I was trying to figure out how to be a globetrotter, right, we are under increasing pressure in our world to have this figured out and to have it figured out even earlier. You've got to build your life now. And what I found so funny about this is within this whole article, you've got all of this stuff that you're supposed to include, and then the very next paragraph says, keep it concise, right? Make sure you've done a ton of stuff, but that you don't talk about it too much. Right? And also it talks about focus on depth and length of commitment. Well, when does you, how do you get length of commitment if you're starting in high school? It's too late! So we have all of this pressure, I feel, especially, and, and this is trickled into all of our stages of life, but especially starting with our youth, you have all of this pressure to build your resume and to build your life 
I mean, I thought about rewriting that Princeton Review article with uh, a little thing on like how to build your life resume. And I would start it by saying, uh, think a resume is just for college? Think again. If you want the life you dream of, you better start building now. Better start building now. There's pressure to build your resume and also to build your identity. Pastor Pat has talked about this uh, recently. I think even last weekend we, we talked a little bit about identity and legacy, this type of thing. But already by middle school, you've got to start building kind of who you are over against other people. And I was thinking about this. If you do a mental exercise, if you think back to third grade, who in third grade were the jocks and the geeks and the social justice warriors, et cetera, et cetera? Who, who were those people in third grade? No clue. Didn't matter. You know, the younger you are as a kid, what does it take to be a friend? You're in front of me, right? You want to be my friend? <laughs> that's, where, that's where the connection is made. But already in middle school, you, there's this pressure to have built my formed identity, who I am over against other people, and what sets me apart from them. That pressure is already existing already in middle school, which is fascinating to me. Pastor Pat and I have talked about this a lot lately, and I, one of his insights that I found really helpful was, you know, at that stage in your life when you're thinking, all right, this is me fully formed, I'm done, this is my identity, uh, his advice was, why don't you come back and talk to me when you're 28 or 30 or even 40? I feel like I'm not fully formed at this stage in my life. But there is pressure to build that, like that you already need to have that figured out right now. It's on you to do this. And of course, if you have pressure to uh, have a final view of yourself, this also means that there is pressure to build a final view of everybody else, right? What group am I part of, right? What category do I fit into? Do they fit into? You start creating us's and them's all in every sphere of life, right? And you have these finished views of others. And of course, our identity equals our belonging. And so we're in a hurry to kind of build these views of other people. You know, they always talk about you, you can't redo a first impression. And don't we do that just naturally anyway? I mean, you, what, you size people up immediately, um, but now I feel like it's like, kind of hyperdrived. We were talking about this at our last uh, youth group night, that because of your access to everybody else's life in the world, you know, it used to be that you could just, you know, follow celebrity lives and have conclusions about them. But now everybody's life is available to you. And at the speed that it comes at you, you're encouraged to just have a final view of everyone around you, right? I've seen this one thing uh, about them, a post that they made or uh, a video that's about them, and now I know the entirety of who that person is. Which is amazing because God (laughs) way earlier said, Human beings look at outward appearances, but God alone sees the heart. We're being forced so often just by our own sinfulness and by kind of the pressure cooker of life around us to come to these final views of everybody else, right? To have built all of this. You got to build your resume. You got to build your identity. You got to build your view of where everybody else fits in the world. And God's word comes to us today as a challenge to that pressure 
and also as a release or relief to that pressure. Because notice what God says to us through Peter here. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You know, when I hear this language of being chosen, I'm reminded elsewhere of Jesus speaking to his disciples and saying, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And it's an interesting thing because what Peter and all of Scripture seems to be telling us is that our choices are not as important as we think they are. Now, I know some of you guys are immediately like, ooh, don't start talking about my choices, Pastor Ryan. <laughs> I'm not saying we don't make them, right? I'm not saying we don't make choices, but that we put far more weight on the choices that we make than they actually deserve. And as illustration, you can just look back over your life. I was thinking about this uh, for myself specifically. What am I doing here? Like, how did I get here? To St. Michael's in Bloomington, in Minnesota. In fact, whenever I tell people where we moved from, they always laugh at me like, what are you doing here? Why did you move from Hawaii to here? And of course, the assumption is, is that I was just looking at a map in front of me and I, in total freedom, I just said, I would like to do this, right? And I've just chosen it. But of course, we know that's not how it works. There are so many other choices that other people are making. I mean, the experiences of this congregation uh, leading you to want to call an associate pastor, uh, somebody else giving my information to somebody else. I have no connections to Minnesota at all. The experiences that I was having where I was before that opened me up to saying I need to do something that is different than what I am used to or familiar with. And if you go even further back, like the way I was raised, the experiences in the church that I had, the parents that raised me, the places that I was. Did I have any say in all of these things? No. And yet they've shaped me. So of course I've made choices along the way, but there's no point in looking back. And you can do the same exercise in your own life. There's no point in looking back over the choices and trying to see all of the weight of what you chose to do or not do. But don't we do that oftentimes? I mean, most people's regrets are not over sin, although that would be the, the proper place for us to have regret in life. More often, we're, we're pressured to have regret over every single choice we make. I should have gone left when I went right. right? I if I had only done this, then my life would be different now. And what God is saying to us is actually a relief. No, those choices that you thought were the most important ones are not. God has you exactly where he needs you to be. Don't worry about it, right? So even as this group goes back and reflects on what they said they wanted to be in middle school versus what they're doing now, God is saying, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. There is no pressure for you to choose wisely in every instance. We always do this with kids, by the way, right? Make good choices. What we really mean is, you know, behave well. We don't mean every single decision you make is going to affect the rest of your life, right? It's all on you. God is saying, no, God's choice is the one that ultimately matters most. And then within that space, we have all kinds of freedom to choose and to go this direction or that and to see how God is working in our lives. Secondly, Peter says, you like living stones are being built together. 
See, we have this pressure to set ourselves apart early on. What's, what makes us stand out? What makes us unique from other people? But God tells us in his word that he is the one who sets you apart. It's not, it's not up to you to have to do that. And not only that, but he doesn't just set you over and against other people. He actually sets you apart in order to make you a part of something that is much greater, the body of Christ. You know, I think about some of the deepest uh, and closest friendships that I have with people never would have come about without God drawing me into his church. Because when I think of those individuals, like we don't share any common experiences, we aren't the same generation, we don't have the same backgrounds. If you surveyed our interests or our politics or anything else, I don't know if we'd ever even run across each other. And yet these are some of the closest, deepest friendships that I have. It reminds me of what Pat was talking about last weekend, that God brings us unity and not uniformity. God is the one that actually builds us together. If it were up to us and our building, we would just be segmenting ourselves off into our different cliques and groups. But P Peter says that God builds us together like living stones He's putting us together into something that is far greater than anything any human being anywhere in the world ever builds, the church. It's such a relief. Finally, you know, we, we talk about this final view of people and maybe even a final view of ourselves, you know, whether I've arrived or what my value is. And in, throughout this whole dialogue, notice that Peter hasn't mentioned anything about what the stones are like, Right? He just says that you and I are living stones, but he doesn't assign any value to the stones. There's no evaluation, or I think about that word, evaluation, of assigning value to any of it. There's only one place where he talks about the value of the stone, and it's in relation to Jesus. The stone that was rejected. The stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone. See, Jesus is evaluated all the time and was evaluated in his life and ministry and found to be of no worth to anybody. We're going to crucify him outside of the city. That's what we think of him. And Peter's saying that, that the value that the world assigns is not actually what it is. That, P, that Jesus is the cornerstone and that the value that he had was hidden from the world. And the same is true for you and me. Everyone else is trying to size everybody up, trying to evaluate who has more value or less value. And this word about Christ is also a reminder to us that we don't see that. And that's okay. Because in Christ, you, each of you, is of infinite value. And God is building you together into something great on the cornerstone that is Christ. The pressure for us to build is off. God is the builder. God is the builder. And you are the living stones. And so when we go back to that first question, and I'm asking this for everybody, no matter how old you are, what do you want to be when you grow up? That question is open. It's expansive it's creative. You can get it wrong and still be okay, right? You can change gears at any stage. 
I mean, this is what God does with conversion anyway. It's never too late to do anything that is different in life, right? The world is open to us because God has made it so. And so whatever you choose to be, you already know who you are and whose you are. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.